Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, I'm joined by two guests hailing all the way from Europe to discuss how digital transformations are unfolding in EMEA with an emphasis on how to create positive, measurable outcomes for construction teams. For those listening that aren't big on acronyms, EMEA stands for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And on today's show, we'll also discuss how you should be benchmarking yourself as an organization and which key performance indicators or KPIs are important to consider when looking to improve project delivery. With that said, my guests this week are Ivana Tuja, a BIM and engineering lead at Mace Group, and Matt Keen, senior industry strategist at Autodesk. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Let's start by hearing about your backgrounds and experiences in the construction industry. Ivana, how about you go first? Thank you, Eric. First of all, I wanted to say um, thank you for waking up so early to host your European guests. As you already said, my name is Ivana and I'm a BIM and Digital Engineering Lead at MACE. And I'm working from um, our London office. I'm based in our London office, or maybe it's better to say um, that I'm working from my London home um, with the current situation. <laughs> in terms of MACE, MACE is an international developer, consultant, constructor and operator. And I work in our construction part of the business. I'm a lead for our uh, PREACH business unit. And PREACH stands for Public Estates, Research, Education, Arts and Culture and Healthcare. I'm also a company lead for Autodesk Cloud Solutions. And I have a team of amazing individuals, or as we like to call them, BIM geeks, who are working on um, all things digital at MACE. In terms of my background, there are two things which are um, really important for my career. First of them is that I'm a qualified architect. I used to practice architecture for a number of years um, before making what seemed to be at the time a very radical move into, into construction. And the other really important one is that I used to be Autodesk certified um, instructor for a number of years. So I would train people on how to use Autodesk software. But when I mentioned my radical move, I think when I announced them, moving into construction, that was quite unexpected as I spent probably 10 years of um, studying to become an architect. Basically, what this allowed me to do was to merge my two big passions. One was um, a passion for technology and the other one was passion for design and seeing things being built. So I'm really happy that I made that move and I've actually never looked back. So that's great. It's been a fun conversation when I get to speak to architects who have made similar moves to yours. And I think we've had a couple guests on the show so far that have done that, where they go, okay, like this construction tech is is something that seems interesting and, and have made that transition. And I think having that background just you know, gives you a much more powerful tool set as you collaborate across the team and, uh, you know, build up uh, your experience in your current position. Matt, can you talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. No problem. Thanks for having us, Eric. And uh, Ivana, it was good to hear all about your your journey. Mine's a little bit similar in the fact that uh, I started in computer science and then moved over to construction. So I, I made a leap myself. 
Um, but I'm an industry strategist at Autodesk. Um, it's a very fancy title for a role that we, we, in terms of industry strategy, we look at which markets we should be going into, how do we execute in those markets, uh, and then more importantly, how is it that we make sure that what we're delivering really resonates with customers in either my region, which we call EMEA, um, APAC, Asia Pacific, or the Americas market. So I work with a global team to, to really assess how we're going to ensure that we're relevant um, in terms of what we build and what we market and what we sell. My background is construction. Um, before I joined Autodesk, um, I spent nine years working for a main contractor in the UK. So I worked for a, a company called Wilmot Dixon and I worked in lots of different areas, including project management, design, sustainability, and ultimately I ended up being the head of BIM for a short while before joining Autodesk. So that's my background, Eric. I like it. We've, we've got a cool range of uh, experience to, you know, kind of unpack what's going on in EMEA. That's going to be a fun conversation. And, and funnily enough, my, my journey into construction had a very brief uh, moment at, in computer science as well, although I only did one semester in college before I realized, oh, no, my brain does not work this way and uh, <laughs> ended up making a transition into communications, which landed me in my, my current seat. So <laughs> I'm very similar. I realized that I wasn't a computer scientist at all. So I made the leap as soon as I was given the opportunity. <laughs> All right. Well, for the first segment of the show, we're going to be discussing digital transformations with a focus on the digitization landscape unfolding in EMEA. And I know the phrase digital transformation has approached buzzword territory at times, but I do feel it's an authentic way to describe changes in construction tied to the availability of industry-specific tools that offer ways to improve workflows and project outcomes. So to kick things off, let's start with the basics here. Ivana, can you tell me what comes to mind when you hear the term digital transformation? And can you explain the business value of digitization in construction? Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think construction industry is very specific and changes have been happening so slowly through three years that actually, you know, things that are happening now actually feel like a transfer, like a whole transformation. So um, yeah, it is a buzzword, but I think it's really hard to avoid it. I think, you know, things that come to my mind are these new ways of working, which we are establishing now. And I think, you know, we're in such an exciting time where we can define how construction industry will look in the future. So I'm really happy that I, you know, I think changes like very intense changes only started probably a few years ago. And now we can, we can, you know, we can see that everything is just speeding up and, and they're happening so quickly. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be there in, in this specific moment of time and, and define how the future of construction will look like. So I think it's a lot of fun right now to see all of this transformation going on. We've had this kind of hockey stick growth in construction-specific technology that didn't exist when I joined the industry, you know, a decade ago. It was all, you know, spreadsheets and using Microsoft Office and all kinds of other stuff in a very disconnected fashion. And the intention between, you know, product design and the willingness for our peers to embrace technology have really brought us a long way in the in the last you know five to ten years in particular matt do you have any thoughts there as far as you know what digital transformation means to our customers yeah i think when i think of digital transformation i think that it's really change management and uh, what i've seen with a lot of the customers that i've had the pleasure of working with is, is that they're trying to work out a lot of this um now 
one of the things that's really appealed to me about tech, the intersection between technology and construction is there's so much opportunity there. And I think that's what you see, you've seen in the last five years is that this, the startup community has seen that opportunity and it's just exploded. So there's so many different solutions that customers can go and choose now. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not on the customer side now. I have to be, <laughs> it has to be said because there is, there is so much choice there. And um, I, I usually use the, the term when I'm talking to customers and I probably sound like a broken record, but I think customers have traditionally purchased point solutions to solve point problems. And you know, I think what's really interesting now is, is with a lot of the software as a service and platform as a service players, what we're actually seeing is, is that is a lot of what was purchased as point solutions is now really coming together and starting to interconnect, which you know makes it really exciting as to what technology can really do for the construction market. Yeah, removing those disconnections and those data silos is is so important. And I think even in the last two years, we've we've gotten much better about it. And I think people are more aware of what happens when you do lose that amount of data as you kind of move through all the phases of construction. So, yeah. Matt, can you tell me a little bit more about EMEA specifically? Like, what's what's the landscape like? I mean, I'm over here, of course, in California, and I'm, I'm thankful we've got some you know a bit more distinguished accents on the call today. So I, I'm I'm happy for our listeners on that front. But I, I'd love to know if there's some consistency across the board from country to country and you know what that technology adoption looks like. Yeah, I mean, when you compare Europe to the US, I mean, if you think of the number of different countries and different languages that we have to deal with, you know, there's so much variance in terms of, I'd almost call it digital maturity. And what we've got is, is that it's not just it not just happens on a country specific basis, but it almost happens in terms of like the different types of customers that you've got. So we've got some really advanced uh, main contractors or GCs as you would call them in the US. Um, I think that's because they have a little bit more money to invest on the technology side, but there's still this long tail of subcontractors uh, and specialty contractors that don't have the same amount of money to invest in technology that are still working out how do they how do they play with a with a contractor and how do they actually um, use technology to really improve their business so it's yes it's different from country to country and we've seen some leaders i would say uh, in terms of the uk market uh, maybe the netherlands and the nordics and certainly um, germany um, but then you've got other countries say in eastern europe that are probably a little bit further behind and you know it's just different based on where you are but it's also different based on the type of company you are in that given market i think that's interesting because you know i think as, as matt is saying you can see how different co companies are operating differently and although you know mace i work for mace which is a big business i'm actually fully aware of of these differences because we work with a large supply chain and you know they they come in, in different obviously sizes and they have different interests and their digital journey could be completely different than ours. And I think what's really important for us, you know, if we want to be successful, they need to be their part of our success. So as part of our journey, we need to support them um, alongside us. And because of it, we've established, you know, a number of things like our digital training academy that's um, focused on supply chain um, trainings. I always work with my team and ask them to organize workshops on, on the project and make sure that, you know, it's not just our guys who are involved. We also invite supply chain and we provide training for, for them. 
and it's not just you know it's not just supply chain even looking at our projects so we'll have some really small jobs and we will have even in my sector we'll have major major projects that are 10 times bigger and I think it's important to to think about that and think about the the digital strategy for every single job because obviously you know a very small project won't be able to make a huge investment and, and get really fancy um, technology for themselves but then I don't want them to be left behind because of it you know so I think what's what's important there isn't one solution that fits everyone you know and then when you think about our, our big jobs you know I don't want them to fail because we've established all of these workflows which will work for a smaller job but not for they can't be scaled scaled up so I think you know there is there's a big diversity in the in inside of the company and then when you look at the the huge market obviously there'll be many differences as well there's definitely commonality in the united states even though we're not speaking on a country to country basis just based on like you said the the size of the company really does impact their ability to focus on digitization so like a billion dollar general contractor or a main contractor has has the ability to put more time and energy into that digitization process but i think that those mid market and smaller companies do get to do that it just requires a bit more of an intentional conversation and a little bit more deliberateness with, you know, budget. And Ivana, you make a great point. The small projects don't necessarily get to do that because, you know, they're more worried about the margin. They have less time to focus on it. But when you do roll out new technology on some of those bigger projects where the budget can accommodate some of that, once you've learned, you know, how to set that process up, you still do get to implement it as a company, you know, at the at the smaller scale. So it's, it's a lot of fun there. And I'd love to hear specifically about some of the barriers that you've seen when considering digitizing construction workflows and what challenges seem to come up the most when, you know, the company you've worked for have tried to tackle at Ivana or, you know, other companies you've collaborated with. I think the, the first thing that comes to everyone's mind when it comes to digitalization is the price of this whole thing. And obviously, yeah, new technologies can be expensive. But I think what's even more expensive is not to make any change, right? And just keep going and going with the same ways of, of working and maybe um, just creating inefficiencies and continuing with inefficiencies that you've ever had, that you've always had. So I think to tackle this, we really need to, as an industry, we need to become much better in capturing benefits and returns of investments and success stories. And I think, you know, that's something that can then help us to understand, you know, how we return this this investment and is it worth investing in, in digitalization? And I would argue that when you, you look at all the benefits you might see in terms of pricing, you might see a completely different story at the end. And then another really important thing, I think, at the moment is finding the right people, right? So you need to know that, I said this a few times already, things have changed so much in the in the last few years, right? So imagine we went from, okay, we, not, we don't need this digitalization thing doesn't exist. And then all of a sudden it's like quickly, you know, um, let's, let's do it. And all of a sudden we have all of these roles which haven't existed only a few years ago. And, you know, I think construction is complex and, and very unique and it takes you time to get the right experience, right? If you, if you look at our long-term projects, it'll take you years before you see it happening from the beginning till the end. 
So for me, uh, again, to resolve this, I think it's really important to get the, the right talent on board. And to do that, we need to make, I think, construction industry look a bit more attractive than, um, and, and kind of remove this grim picture that it has at the moment. Luckily, I know that there are many talented people out there. So, you know, we can definitely, uh, if we can attract them, then we can train them to learn things that are specific for, for the industry and, and become great leaders in this digitalization space at the end. One thing that construction has also suffered from for a very long time is actually really bad construction tech. So I think products that we used for, for a while maybe weren't that, that great and they weren't very um, user-friendly. And Matt has mentioned, you know, all of these investments that are going now into construction tech, which is a great news. And, you know, every day you see a new startup in, in Silicon Valley creating something really new and exciting. And I really think that these companies now are not, you know, one thing that they're focused on is also user experience, right? So the solutions that we, we get now are much more, user-friendly. And I think that will also help us to um, overcome some bar barriers to, to adoption. Because, as you know, when you think about things, if you want to do some online shopping, it's not like you get the training, do you? You'll install an app and, and with many other apps, you'll install an app and, and um, do it really quickly without any training. And I'm definitely not saying let's not train our staff, but what I'm trying to say, you know, if, if we have these solutions which are really easy to use, then that will definitely help us to, to implement things. I think you're absolutely right there. And I, I came into you know construction technology after working for a few GCs through PlanGrid. And that was always our, our mantra before we got you know, acquired by Autodesk was, this needs to be easy and intuitive to use for the field or nobody's going to use it. And that still holds true and it's made its way into a lot of the new products that we have and it's become kind of an industry baseline. But I think you're absolutely right. And, and that perception problem is something that we talk about on the show pretty frequently. But I think, Young people in particular are starting to see that there is a lot of really cool technology in construction, you know, drones, 360 cameras, all kinds of software that's easy to use and makes people able to focus on building, which is the, the you know, the fun thing about construction and something that everybody's really passionate about. So it's been a really fun journey to see even in the, you know, the last two, three, four, five years. Matt, do you have any thoughts there as far as, you know, the blockers that we're seeing or any advice for people as they uh, experience this uh, abrupt digital transformation at their organizations? So I think one of the biggest kind of barriers that we see is just, we touched on perception, but actually it's about people's attitude to to change and you know i've worked with lots of teams especially where you've got people who feel uncomfortable in using technology even in their day-to-day -day lives and then they're being forced to use it in their in their working lives as well you know i think we saw even when we move when we go way back and we have a look at what was that transition when people started stopped using the fax machine on site and started using email it took people a while to, to get to that but i think that a lot of us are now much more digitally native, I, I suppose would be the, the, the term to use. And, you know, to the point that Ivana made about, it's a lot easier now to pick up something, you know, um, user experience and user design is something that is, is at the forefront of most apps and, you know, technology platforms today, because they want people to easily pick it up. And I mean, I always find it 
incredible in the fact that I've never ever spoken to anyone at Amazon and yet everybody knows how to use that platform and I think that you know to Ivana's point which was quite right the processes are the things that we have to learn within construction and you know the training that you get is it should be that you understand how a building goes together how it operates and then we kind of go from there I think you're absolutely right. And and there's so much tied into getting construction teams to adopt different types of technology. Like the the age ranges on a job site are are dramatically or range dramatically from, you know, people just fresh out of college in their early twenties to very experienced superintendents and project managers who have got thirty or forty years of, you know, construction experience and getting those two cohorts to to talk and, and help share knowledge is so important. And I actually had a buddy of mine um, say something last night to me that really resonated on this particular topic. And it's it ties back into how you define success. And the different generations define success in very different ways. And until you get some clarity on where they're coming from, from each side of the board, sometimes it's really difficult to meet in the, me- in the middle. But the fun thing there, I think, is when you get the early 20-somethings who are really keen with technology and are you know truly digital natives and those project managers who might be in their 40s or 50s and have a wealth of experience building is there so much cool opportunity for knowledge sharing there from both parties that once you get them on the same page everybody's excited you know it's just once you get them to speak that same language and it takes a little bit sometimes like you said there's reluctance to you know adopt technology sometimes or it might not be intuitive but you know when you find that spark and you find that equal playing ground as far as success goes like things move together and and move forward really quickly yeah we've had a couple of customers who have done something which they call it reverse mentoring which is actually getting the younger um more digitally navy uh digitally native um uh, members of the team to mentor the older members of the team and help them in terms of picking up the technology. And then the mentoring happens in terms of, well, what's the build process? And I heard a statistic the other day, which said that 20% of the construction workforce will retire within the next five years. So if you think about that knowledge drain out of the industry, I mean, that's huge. So, you know, using technology in order to bridge that gap for me is a really big opportunity that I think that as an industry, we need to be taking hold of. I agree completely with you on that one. It's it's going to be interesting to see how the challenges we already have as a industry with labor shortages are going to change in the next five years. And so setting up programs like that reverse mentorship now are so important because you need to start building that framework now. You need to start that knowledge transfer now. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be caught in surprise down the line. And and when we talk about digitization, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, building information modeling or BIM adoption. And Avada, you mentioned BIM geeks earlier which made me chuckle. I think everybody who's passionate about technology in some way, you know, defines themselves as a construction geek, or uh, I see the term construction dork float around, which is another podcast in the AAC industry, actually. And Matt, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about the government-driven BIM mandates that have driven that adoption. I know it's in the UK and other parts of Europe. And also, can you just, for the, the listeners who might not be familiar, can you give a quick description of what the heck BIM is? Yeah, sure. So BIM is the use of 3D models and the data that's embedded in those models 
to actually manage the design and construction process. And because the model is a single source of truth, it means that the whole project team can collaborate around it, unlike the, the sharing of um, drawing sheets and, and the continual iterations uh, uh, that you get with those. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a slightly more advanced way of working. And it means that processes need to be in place to make sure that people are actually um, addressing and working with that model in the right way. But, you know, one of the things that happened was the UK government back in, I think it was 2012 or 2013, stated that by 2016, every UK government project would be using building information modelling. And what that did is it, it changed this pull of you know, a group of enthusiasts or people who could see the benefits, it moved that pull to a push. So organizations then had to really jump on board and say, right, well, this is something that we now need to understand better. And I certainly saw that, um, you know, I, I joined Autodesk in 2012. And we saw an explosion in the number of um, contractors that started engaging with us and having conversations about how do they actually use digital technology and in particular building information modeling to actually manage their projects and, and what are the benefits that you get. And what you saw is it, it was the, it, it used to be small BIM teams within the organization. And then it was, how do you actually get that into the hands of everybody so that they could engage with it? Ivana, can you tell us a, a little bit about how the BIM geeks feel about this? Well, first of all, I'm not sure how are they going to feel about the fact that they've announced this nickname to the whole world. So good luck to <laughs> I think I think it's a good one. It's a good one. There, there's no negative connotation <laughs> there. Well, um, yeah, talking about BIM and uh, especially BIM level two mandate in the in the UK, I was lucky enough to well, basically all of the projects that I've worked on in construction have been BIM level two projects because, um, as I said, I work in public sector. So this is something that would be mandated by the government on all the public sector projects since 2016. And I think it's it's really interesting, you know, how the whole thing started, because I think at first we had clients coming to us and telling us, you know, look, we need to do this. Could you please help us out and tell us how to achieve, you know, what the government is asking us to do? And I think through, you know, the, the whole process, both us and, and them learned uh, a lot. And I think what you're seeing, what we are seeing now is all of this, you know, groups of very educated clients who are not doing things just because the government is asking them to do something. They're doing it because they've seen benefits and they want to extend these benefits on, on all of their other jobs. So um, as part of it, we are now getting projects where the clients are not sharing to the documentation and they're only, they only want us to for example, price the job based on, on 3D models, which is really interesting and it really you know, pushes us, pushes the, the boundaries in the, in the industry. And also through this whole process when we, when we first started, I think sometimes you know, all the clients had to do these things. Maybe they didn't really uh, believe in the, in the power of, of technology, especially the older generation. I think this was such a good demand it was such a good opportunity for, for us to show them new ways of, of working and, and open their eyes to certain things. So I still remember kind of early days when I tried convincing one of our clients to try a VR headset and he was very polite, uh, but said, <laughs> said that it looks really exciting, but it was no way that he was, he was trying it. And then as we went around the, the room and everyone did a little walkthrough through the building, 
he and ever really enjoyed it he thought like okay i'll you know i'll, I'll give it give it a go and he absolutely loved it to the point that after that every time we would have a headset he would he would have to do another walkthrough so you know, it's it's good when you get i think it's it's really powerful when you kind of change people people's minds because these people later on are your biggest promoter you know like they're your biggest um, aliases in terms of, of supporting technology and also on the on the back of the whole mandate i think this had an impact on our private clients as well so especially um, when, when you talk about our big uh, pharma clients or big tech clients they're now coming up with you know absolutely incredible set of set of requirements um, and you know they want to see these these fully digitalized workflows and and it's yeah really exciting to work on all of these things I like hearing how that's you know progressed since the mandate started and I'm not surprised to hear that I guess because once you do get that proof case in place even if it was forced initially people start you know having the light bulb turn on much like the the person that you were working with with the VR headset and I, I remember the first time I put one of those on I was a little skeptical myself not out of disinterest in trying it but I didn't really understand the power of being able to do you know a site walk on a project that hasn't actually been built yet and we were using it for two things one was kind of a marketing pitch for you know early bid and proposal efforts where we'd model a portion of whatever we were bidding on to say hey this is what we can actually do and what your building is going to look like which is often the first time that the client had actually ever seen that which is pretty cool and then of course the other one would be hey, here's some clash detection, your pipe is going through this wall, et cetera, et cetera. So we got to make some tweaks and essentially showcases the value of the you know, VDC team that we were bringing to the table because they were able to identify all of that, even at the, the bid and proposal or early uh, tender stage, as you would say, uh, in your region. I'm curious to hear how the other parts of EMEA have handled BIM adoption outside of the UK. Has there been any consistency in standards from country to country as far as collaboration goes? There was an EU BIM task group that started looking at this. Um, so European Union um, BIM task group, which started looking at it, Eric, to try and get some consistency in terms of what was asked for. But I think each country has been slightly different. and. You know, from what that's meant is, is that, you know, especially from a technology provider's perspective, or if you're a, uh, a customer, you know, if you're a construction company that has offices in different countries and regions, then you've got to deal with all of those different mandates and, and uh, requirements, which can be, you know, it can be challenging. So I think it's just about really understanding um, what it is at that local market level that you need to adhere to and everybody's doing it slightly differently i mean if you take the nordic countries they're really big on interoperability between file formats which is a really good thing to see and whilst i think that that was something that we wanted to see in the uk for example we haven't probably um doubled down on that as much as they did in the nordics so I'd, I'd like to take this opportunity to pivot to the second segment of the show which is more focused around industry outcomes and we'll also discuss choosing how to evaluate your organization when looking to improve your project delivery. And I think these themes tie directly into digital transformation because digital workflows really lay the groundwork for more meaningful performance benchmarks. 
And so I'd like to start with a question for Matt. And if I'm being honest, I think more than 75% of the conversations you and I have ever had have been loosely tied to the theme of outcomes in construction. So if anything, I do really applaud your consistency here. But I'd like to take a step back for a moment and give you an opportunity to share what you really mean when discussing outcomes with customers and other industry stakeholders. Yeah, sure. So I think the challenge when you're a technology company is every problem looks like a technology problem that can be solved with technology. So the reason that we really focused on this concept of outcomes, which is actually saying that fundamentally contractors don't deal with technology problems, they deal with business problems. So how is it that we could really focus all of our teams on what those business problems were and then see if there was a technology fit? So what we did was we spent a lot of time looking at the industry with customers, really understanding what were the things that they really cared about, what were the things that they really wanted to focus on. And effectively, we boiled it down to five impactful areas that we knew that was consistent across the whole of the construction industry. So in winning work, quality, cost, schedule, and health, safety, and environment, or HSE. And I think what that allowed us to do was then say, how is it that whatever we're designing from a technology perspective and building from a technology perspective actually addresses you know, those areas and, and made sure that whenever we were either marketing, talking to customers, following up with them in terms of the, you know, their adoption of the technology, how could we make sure that those outcomes were front and center of everything that we did? So it's a real focus that we've taken. I think it's pretty common across a lot of um, software as a service providers, but it's something that we've really doubled down on in the last um, 12, 18 months, I would say. I really like it because it it does capture the nuance of, of what a construction project really is from start to finish and how it impacts all of the parties and the players and, and the safety aspect, of course, is absolutely critical since that's paramount on any construction project. And when you consider outcomes for a construction company or a construction project, how far out in the future should our, our customers be thinking? And Ivana, I'd love to hear your take on this one. Yeah, so what's important is that you're able to, I think you need to you know, sit down and just think not about how you're delivering things now, but how could they work in the future? And you know, is, is there something that's, that's just coming up and it looks really interesting, but in a few years from now, it might become a standard. So you need to put it in, in your digital strategy um, early on. I like the fact that, you know, your team is thinking so far ahead. And I think it's an important thing to consider for most of the, the listeners out there because it's easy, especially with how busy most construction professionals are, to be very focused on the moment and, in a sense, oftentimes reactive to current circumstances versus being proactive and making some of those choices for, you know, how the, the outcome is going to look in a year or six months or, you know, whatever that may be. So I think those companies that have been around for a long time and have, have been wildly successful through downturns and recessions and everything else are those ones that said, okay, regardless of what's happening today, whether it's a global pandemic or an economic recession or, you know, a change in how we build or deliver or shortages of materials or whatever, at the same time, they're still carving out a small portion of their time to look, okay, two, four, five, 10, 15 years down the road and say, what might be happening 
and what should we be doing now to be able to react to those so we can you know take care of our employees and better serve our customers and everything along those lines yeah i think my you know when i when i think about my team we need to have this almost this although we are part of of such a such a big company i think we need to have this flexibility and in terms of our our mindset we almost need to be like a little startup right and we need to be able to with things changing so fast we need to be able to to make changes fast as as well and you know even in terms of setting up workflows i think this i think when, when you need to test things you won't always succeed and this ability to just accept that and move on quickly is really important you know i think one of the most impressive things about the construction industry is is how good everyone is at solving those problems it's Every day there are surprises on a construction project, whether it's, you know, the first day you break ground and you dig a hole and find a, a surprise power line that was not supposed to be there that, you know, changes, you know, the scope of what you're doing that day. And, or, you know, you have to do some rework because the owner has changed their mind on the outcome of something or, you know, so many things can happen. So it's always just really impressive to, to step back and go, wow, like, we solve those problems. Everybody, you know, gets the project built at the end of the day, and hopefully delivers a satisfactory outcome for the customer and the out and the the owner of the project. So, sir, I just want to say one thing about it. You know, um, everyone keeps talking about, you know, as I think many people as a barrier to adoption see the fact that we maybe have older generation on site. I actually always question that, right? Because as you said, construction is so impressive, and there's so many issues happening all the time. And these guys actually have a very technical mindset, you know? So my question is, if they already have this technical mindset, they should be able to, uh, you know, we should be able to, to get them to, to change their work, the way they're working quite quickly. So I think probably as, as I used to be a trainer, I always think about, you know, how do we train these people? How do we get them to buy into, into this technology? And um, I always think about one of my colleagues, older colleagues actually, who um, I went to his office to explain something to him. And I still remember he turned around and he said, you know what, Ivana, technology is not the problem. The problem is the way we are trained, you know? And this is why I think it's really important to have to like know who you're working with. And when you're implementing field, like you can't do that from your office, can you? I mean, with the teams and stuff, Obviously, we can we can do it through through the camera and so on. But I think it's really important to know your users and to get their feedback and understand what their challenges are. Because if you have this direct communication and you're aware of everything that's happening, I think you can you can get rid of most of the problems that you might be facing. I agree completely. It's it's getting that stakeholder buying buy-in is is so incredibly important, and it's it's a messaging issue more so than anything. And you can have the greatest idea in the world or the, the most advanced and easy to use technology that's ever been invented. But unless you are intentional about how you bring your team along for the ride, you're really setting yourself up for failure at that point because you haven't gotten that buy-in. And I, I've always seen this and I've heard it from a lot of the guests that I've talked to and customers and 
colleagues when I was still, you know, working in industry specifically about this is like once you get that buy-in, once you, you know, get that light bulb moment where you go, we'd like you to do this reason and here's why, and you, and you show them, they're so much more inclined to go, oh yes, this is, this is what we do. And now you've got champions across the board who enthusiastically are adopting technology instead of, you know, accepting it because you prescriptively told them that they had to. And I'd like to, to, pivot to, you know, how we measure some of this. And Matt, you and I have talked about key performance indicators or KPIs uh, a lot in the past. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your feelings on how leveraging KPIs ties directly into improving project outcomes and why it really matters for all the, the construction peers listening today. I always think of KPIs like, it's like a health score is probably the easiest way to do it. You know, we all want to know that our our heart rate is in the right zone and that, uh, you know, our cholesterol levels are at the right level. It's exactly the same when it comes to um, projects. You want to know you're on time, you're on budget. You know, it, it's no different. You're actually looking at project health. So a lot of those key performance indicators are known across the board. I think, you know, especially when it comes to cost and schedule, I think most people always talk about those. I sometimes feel a little bit for quality. It always seems to get left behind, maybe because it's uh, a little bit harder to measure. But um, we have seen some customers who have come up with really good quality indexes so that they can compare quality from job site to job site, which at least allows for it to be you know, part of the mix. And, you know, if you look at some of the, the key performance indicators that are in use within the industry, uh, whether that's, you know, win rate or uh, whether that's, you know, their accident frequency rate or the EMR, you know, those sorts of things uh, allow you to compare yourself to either other projects within your own organization and say, right, what does good look like and, and how is it that we address poor performance? Or can you actually use it at more of an industry scale and actually really talk about how is it that we know what good does look like from a construction industry perspective? What does you know innovation and uh, best practice really look like? And how could we replicate that on our own projects? So, you know, I think measuring is so so important and capturing that data and and gathering that data at scale it's really hard to do but i think that's where technology gives us such a um, an opportunity to really gather all of that data around some of these key performance indicators and then use that to do some peer-to-peer uh, -peer benchmarking so people can understand what does good look like and how do we improve I think you hit the nail on the head there and in making a, a concerted effort to define what success looks like really becomes important as you, you know, scale your organization and move from project to project. And, you know, not every construction project is the same unless you're like in, in a retail environment that might be different where, you know, you stand up the same build every time and you have lessons learned that you can, you know, roll across the board to everything you're doing. But there are still lessons learned that you can take once you've taken that moment to step back and go, okay, this is how we define success. This is what's worked. And while, you know, that project scope might not necessarily be the same from, you know, building A in London to building Z in Wales or something along those lines, there are still things you can learn from that as an organization if you're looking inwardly and defining some of that. And Ivana, I'd love to hear how you've found success when applying KPIs to your projects. And has that process changed as we've become a more digitized industry in the recent years? Yeah, um, um, for sure, Eric. I think things have actually changed significantly, you know, and, and we've, we've progressed a lot. So I think in early days, focus was definitely on, on coordination. So in terms of 
and so it's like it was more about early stages and I think the the main outcome here would be improved coordination on the project as the main indicator of, of the success and I think we've expanded this field so much now so we're not talking in general we've spoken about the, the word BIM but we're not talking about BIM anymore we're talking about digital engineering which is really it's really important to point that out so I think our focus have now shifted so we're almost you know taking into account that we we know how to do coordination so that's that's kind of covered as as a minimum that's what we expect but then yeah our, our focus have shifted on on other things and we want to focus on optimizing programs and how do we use models better to do quantification and um, you know matt has mentioned quality is a really really important aspect in terms of service excellence so um, you know getting to the end of the job with with zero defects which um Actually, we've just we've just achieved that on, on one of my jobs, and and we're we're really proud of it, and we really think that technology has has supported the the whole process. So yeah, we are we're just looking at the bigger picture, and again mentioning our our business strategy, sustainability now is is a huge part of it. So we're looking into I'm working closely with our sustainability managers on to see how can we support them with the technology. And then, of course, customer satisfaction, that's always, a, that's always a, a, a big driver. And actually, that's something I will, that hasn't changed. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest shift is, is this mindset where you go from, from BIM to digital construction and engineering. And there's so much more data to play with now than there ever was before. And, and I think it's overwhelming for a lot of people because they don't necessarily know where to start. And I think that that framework is really defining those outcomes first and then making a really concerted effort to implement a data strategy across the board for your organization. Because if you're not intentional here, it's very hard to step back and go, okay, I have all this data. Like, how is this actionable? Like, what am I going to do with it? And if you look at, you know, a lot of the studies and statistics about data and construction or data in any industry right now, we're, we're at this mildly overwhelming exponential growth rate right now where every year it's more every year it's more and so we have to be mindful of what we're doing with it to you know ensure success and ensure that we're actually analyzing what matters at the end of the day and does this framework change based on the stakeholder of a project for example, like what outcomes and performance be benchmarks should owners be focused on compared to, say, a general contractor or main contractor or a specialty contractor? So it is different, Eric. It has to be different because what an owner is trying to do is they're trying to maximize their return on an investment in terms of an asset. You know, they're not managing the process, so to speak. So the owner is thinking about how do I acquire that asset in the most cost efficient way? And then depending on what they're going to do with it at the end, are they going to sell it or are they actually going to sweat the asset and actually use it for the duration of, uh, of its life? They want to make sure that they're getting their best return on investment. So, you know, that's very different to what a contractor does, which is how do I manage that project for the lifespan of that project and then move on to the next one and then the next one. And so I think that you have to think that the outcomes an owner is looking at are different. Now, we're actually undertaking a project at the moment to really define what we think those outcomes are for owners. Now, the challenge for owners 
is is that they come in so many different guises. Um, you know, they can either be in the manufacturing space, they can be in the infrastructure space. You know, they could be private or they could be public. You know, so actually trying to pick out some of the things that are common to all owners is in a unique challenge for us at the moment. And then we're actually deciding on whether we need to look at it through a lens of some of those more generic outcomes that apply to any owner. And then is it that there's some outcomes that are specific based on the, the, the type of asset that they're actually trying to procure and use? That makes a lot of sense just because the needs of somebody who owns, say, a particular set of coffee shops that exists all over the world are going to be dramatically different than, say, a large-scale infrastructure project where you're building roads or bridges or something. Like, both of those are owners at the end of the day, and th their needs and requirements are going to be wildly different. So I, I appreciate that insight there, and it's it's going to be interesting. And, and you and I are working on this actually a little bit separately is, is we yeah. try to figure out, you know, what those common, common points are so we can help people, you know, with their outcomes and their project delivery methods at the end of the day. If I can add something to, to this, Eric, it's, it's a big part of the, the BIM Level 2 mandate, you know, uh, is, is this whole focus on the, on the handover and the use of the building. And I think what we were seeing in early days was, you know, we would spend a lot of time collecting information. And then unfortunately, when it would come to, to the handover, that information wasn't very useful. So what was thought that was, was needed wasn't actually the case at the end, which is, you know, it's very unfortunate because obviously it takes so much time and, and effort to collect all of this data and we would like it to be used. So um, again, there was a big shift there. And I think um, our clients are now getting their facility management teams involved much earlier in the process. So yes, they are, their requirements are becoming more, more complex, but they're also becoming more specific. And the great thing is that, you know, they're more, much more useful and, and we know that clients will be using this information or the owners will be using this information at the end, which, you know, makes us all, all feel much better about it. So. I like that. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people are getting a bit more informed on what to ask for at the start of the project, too, because if the owner has a really good sense of what they want at the end of the day and what kind of data they want to analyze, if they identify that up front and also if they require the, uh, the people working on the project to ensure they're collecting it, like there's, there's so much more transparency. And at the end of the day, you know, everybody is going to be a lot happier than they might have been if it was just left up to chance or, you know, everybody collects their own data in their own way. And then the, you know, the turnover package is a little bit more piecemeal. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of, you know, platform solutions versus point solutions too, because, you know, all that data lives in one single source of truth and it's much easier to aggregate it for somebody at the end of the day versus, you know, finding every single tool you've used across a project and then um, trying to put it into one common and usable format when you're done. So... I've got one more question for each of you as we end this week's episode, and I've asked everybody this question, and I really enjoy seeing how every guest approaches it because it, it does vary so wildly every time I do from, you know, a hammer to, you know, uh, something a bit more bigger picture. So can you tell me what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? And Yvonne, I'd love it if we could start with you on this one. Yes, of course, Eric. As a regular listener of our podcast, I knew that this question is um, coming up. So I had some time to think about yesterday about what's actually replaceable. 
and I have to say it wasn't that hard to, to decide. And this tool that I can't live without is definitely my Apple Pen. And I'm sure my manager is laughing about it because when I, when I joined the business, he was really worried. I, I joined the business in the third week of the, the UK lockdown. So he was very worried that, you know, if I'll, I'll receive my laptop on time, whereas the only thing I needed was, was a pencil. Obviously, the, the, you need an iPad to, to use it. But from my point of view, the, the iPad is, uh, doesn't get much use without the, the pen itself. So I literally enter a panic mode every time, every time it goes missing in my bag. But I think what makes it really great is, you know, it looks like one device, but it's basically, you know, in my head, it's, it's basically a set of all of these pens in different colors and a set of highlighters and, I don't know, uh, crayons and all of these things. And it really enables you to be creative. And as someone who is a very visual type, I like making little sketches even during the meetings when you know people talk to me, I'll, I'll do little mind maps and sketches and diagrams. So I would remember what, what we were discussing and it just enables me to kind of declutter my mind and put it all on the, on the iPad. So yeah, I love it. And also yeah, it, it reduces the need for all the, all the notebooks that that you normally lose all over all over the place. So yeah, it's great. <laughs> I like that. And I always lose my my notebooks and I've just stopped trying to write things, you know, manually. Everything lives in the cloud. And in this era of uh, everyone working from home, if you can make everything digital even easier than if it would have been otherwise, you know, that's just a, a step ahead as far as collaborating goes. So I, I appreciate that a bunch. Matt, about, how about you? What's, uh, what's your tool that you can't live without from project to project? Well, because we're actually doing a renovation project at home at the moment, um, literally the tool I can't do without is, a, is, is actually a tape measure because I'm constantly finding out whether everything's going to fit and I'm going back out on site at the time. But less literally, I'd say that the one tool that I use on every single project is just curiosity. I mean, I'm very aware, having worked in the construction industry, that one person can't know everything. So for me, I've just got this natural curiosity to understand how things work, why they're actually the way they are, how you can actually make them better. And I think, uh, Eric, you've worked with me for long enough now. You know that I just don't, I don't settle on the first answer I'm ever given. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it, it's really about understanding uh, why things are the way they are. And uh, and I really enjoy digging into problems and uh, and working with others to try and uh, find out what the fix is. So, yeah, I think that's the, the, the that's definitely part of my uh, my background from being in the industry, that's for sure. I appreciate that a lot, and it, it makes it a lot of fun to work with you because we really get down to the, the core issue of it. And even going back to your first answer, I, I chuckle because like I'm holding a tape measure up to those not on the video call right now. <laughs> I've got one in my desk. I've got two in my toolbox. I've got one in my car. I, I rely on my tool uh, tape measure all the time, even though I'm not actively renovating my house. So thanks for sharing that. And no if our listeners have any questions, can you share how they can connect with you? So for me, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I'm more than happy to take questions on LinkedIn or either direct or they can just um, they can just post something if that's the, if that's how they want to get in touch. But that works for me. How about you, Ivana? Same for me. So my surname is quite unique, so it shouldn't be too hard to, uh, to find me. And if anyone um, has any questions or wants to, to discuss anything, I'm happy to be contacted there. Thank you. Fantastic. And do either of you have anything that you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about or anything that you'd like to share with them? Matt, how about you go first? 
So um, I've got two things actually, Eric, because uh, if you get given the opportunity, I, I thought I'd at least push the boundaries a little bit. So one is, you know, we've talked a lot about KPIs and, and metrics. So one is I've got my AU class, which I believe is still available, which is um, which I did on KPIs and metrics. And I, I think that that really gives a perspective of some of the things that we talked about today. The other thing is, if you're still interested in, in KPIs and metrics, then uh, we've got our construction benchmarking tool at Autodesk, which will allow you to actually compare yourself to your industry peers. And uh, it'll allow you to go through, you know, which industry you're from, what are the important workflows that you use, and then give you a score and some uh, recommendations for improvement. So I definitely plug uh, those two things. That's great. And we'll make sure to include links in the show notes to both of those assets so uh, our listeners can easily find those. How about you, Ivana? Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, one thing, Eric, that I would uh, like to mention, which we haven't touched on, and it's really important for the UK at the moment, is the whole construction to production initiative. And the government has just announced a new task force, which will be focused on modern methods of, of construction, which is really exciting. And we've been reading articles about designers being asked to redesign buildings, public buildings, so they can be constructed by using modern methods. And for us as a business, it's really, this is really important because again, as part of the strategy, we want to deliver 90% of our work using modern methods of, of construction. So again, just wanted to, uh, to mention it because it's, it's uh, going to open new opportunities. And I think, you know, we're um, going to see a lot of uh, exciting stuff coming from that field. I like that. Thank you for sharing it. And I actually have something to plug. I think our listeners are going to get tired of it, but I'm going to keep doing it for at least a few weeks here. So we launched uh, the new Digital Builder Podcast homepage. So if you go to construction.autodesk.com forward slash podcasts, you can click on a button that says meet the host and watch a video where I make an absolute fool of myself. So it's a good time. I love it if you check it out. And if you get any feedback, you can reach out to me and, uh, and let me know. And there are also forms on that page page as well to sign up for the Digital Builder biweekly newsletter and for you to offer suggestions on guests, show themes, or you know anything that you'd like to share with us as well. So thanks again for uh, joining us on this week's episode of Digital Builder. As always, if you want to reach out with any questions or would like to be a guest on an episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. So don't hesitate to reach out. I do really enjoy getting feedback from the listeners. Listeners. And of course, please like, subscribe to, or share this episode if you enjoyed it. It does help me out on the back end, so I'd really appreciate it if you did that. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.